0: Friends, it is so good to be with you today. It is so good to join with you as we participate in worshiping the Most High God. There is nothing more important than we can be doing together right now. And I am so thrilled for this time with you. We've been in a sermon series here at Bel Air Church, a a series on the fruit of the Spirit. We're calling it Summer in the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, we're told that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Nine characteristics of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit who is alive in us. Now let's just imagine for a moment... God's desire to bring forth fruit in us, to mature us into the same characteristics that live and abide in the Holy Spirit. In the Gospel of John, Jesus describes his disciples as being fruit bearers, as being fruit themselves. I want to read the beginning of the Gospel of John, actually chapter 15, verses 1 through 5, and I'm going to be reading from the message. Um, Most of you know the message, Eugene Peterson does a paraphrase of the Bible. It's a unique translation that kind of tunes our ears in a different way. So listen to Eugene Peterson, the message, the Gospel of John, chapter 15. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Jesus says, I am the real vine, and my father is the farmer. He cuts off every branch of me that doesn't bear grapes. And every branch that is grape-bearing, he prunes back, so it will bear even more. You are already pruned by the message that I have spoken. Live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you were joined with me. I am the vine. You are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, The relation, intimate and organic. The harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown on a fire. But if you make yourselves at home with me, and my words are at home with you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to, and acted upon. This is how my father shows who he is when you produce grapes, when you mature as disciples. Now let's catch that last line one more time. Jesus doesn't say, this is how my father evaluates you grades you to see how you're coming along, if you're going to turn into a good disciple or not. No, Jesus says, this is how my Father shows who he is. This is the church, the universal body of Christ that testifies to the world who God is through the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit in us. We get to testify to who God is when we mature into the grape-bearing branches that God has purposed us to be. All kinds of grapes. Grapes grown in all different soils and climates. All different grapes with different textures and flavors and distinctions. But we are all cultivated by the Holy Spirit for one purpose— to bring glory to God. In this sermon series, we've been looking at the different kinds of grapes, the different fruit of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit produces in us as we abide in God. And today we are looking at the fruit of faithfulness, I've actually invited a dear friend of mine, an elder of Beller Church, to partner with me today in this sermon by sharing his witness of faithfulness. And in just a few minutes, I'm going to ask Barry Glazer to join me here. Faithfulness. Faithfulness means being full of faith. There you go. That's what it means. So actually, we need to look at the definition of faith before we can understand faithfulness. What is faith? John Calvin said that faith is knowing what God's will is for us. Do we believe that God is friend or foe? Do we believe that God is for us or against us? You see, friends, From the entire witness of the Bible, from the beginning to the end, we are told that God is friend, a friend to us, that God wants to give us a future and a hope, that God is generous beyond all measure. And yet, mm, the enemy of God has done such a good job of sowing seeds of doubt. Mm, I can hear the voice. God doesn't want you to have what He has love, joy, peace, patience, whatever. God doesn't want you to have that. God wants to keep that all to Himself. Believe me, He's going to tell you to keep your hands off. God wants to enslave you, not free you. God wants to punish you, not give you joy. God wants you to be afraid of Him, bet your life on it. This is not the voice of God, my friends. And whenever we hear this voice, whenever we recognize it, we need to know that this voice wants to persuade us not to love God, not to trust God. This voice can be very persuasive. This voice represents weeds, not seeds, weeds of doubt, disturbance, and division, and God wants to pluck them out by the root God is the gardener. Let him do this work in you. In the power of Jesus' name, boldly just say no when you are hearing lies from the enemy. You see, Calvin's definition of faith rests on a foundation of knowing who God is, of knowing that God is there, of knowing that God is good, and of knowing that God is good to us. In Hebrews 11:1, we are told exactly what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance that what we hope for is grounded in the goodness of God. The reality Of the goodness of God. And our hope is that that goodness is directed toward us. That that goodness comes to us sacrificially, abundantly, and intentionally every day, no matter what circumstances may come. That's our hope. And that the Bible defines faith as a conviction that our hope will come to pass. it's already present to us. The Greek word for faithfulness used here in Galatians 5.22 is pistis. It's the same word that's used many times throughout the New Testament uh, for faith and faithfulness. It can be used interchangeably. It's the same word, for example, that Jesus used in the gospel accounts of the hemorrhaging woman, The woman with the flow of blood who reached out to touch the hem of Jesus' garment in the hope that she would be healed. And she was. And Jesus turned to her and he said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Now, Pastor Mike Morgan on our preaching team here, he loves to preach on this Greek word that means made you well. The Greek word is sozo. So Jesus says to the woman, daughter, your faith has sozoed you. What does sozo mean? Sozo holds within it not only the miracle of physical healing, but also the spiritual reality of redemption, of salvation. Sozo contains the complete restoration of the whole human person, both in body and in spirit through the capacity given to us in faith. We can call what this woman had saving faith. It's a faith that brings a person like this woman into a relationship with Jesus where the conviction that Jesus is personally Lord and Savior where you can say, Jesus is my Lord, my Savior. The conviction is given to us as a gift. Sometimes people are given an enormous storehouse of faith that they didn't even know they had until they find themselves touching Jesus, him. Sometimes this can be exercised and accessed at the exact right moment, such a, such a moment that this storehouse of faith becomes a lifeline, and this lifeline becomes a way of life, and this way of life becomes a life of faith. That's what happened to this woman. Pistis, the Greek word for faith is the same word Jesus uses when he's crossing the Sea of Galilee with his disciples in a boat. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus has gotten into this boat and suddenly a ferocious storm comes up. The disciples freak out and Jesus rebukes the wind and the raging waves. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, Where is your faith? Or as Matthew tells the story, Jesus says, Why are you afraid, you of little faith? Jesus is saying, you have baby faith right now. You know, sometimes people we think are all grown up spiritually that they should have all the faith it's ever going to need, that ought to have it all together. Sometimes people like this are drained of faith in an instant, and they find themselves just like little children, needing the lightning and the thunder to stop. Everyone is human. All of us get scared. Notice that Jesus does not rebuke the disciples. He rebukes the storm, the wind, and the waves, and he teaches the disciples. You see, Jesus is always doing the work of God, and God's work is to produce fruit-bearing disciples, disciples that are growing in faith, which is a gift. Friends, I want to share with you that Jesus can take your fear and make it faith. I'm telling you this because he's done this countless times with me. 1 John 4:18 says, "There is no fear in love." And I'm telling you, the first time I ever read this verse, I was a brand new Christian, I feel like it levitated off the page of the Bible. There is no fear in love. And, and I knew that God had given me this verse as a life verse over my whole life. I'm so excited. I found a, a new online Bible study by a woman named Megan Hemelgarn. And in one of her online posts, Megan says, for Christians, a life verse is a line of scripture that speaks to your heart in a personal and profound way. It captures your faith walk, and it defines how you choose to live your life as a Christian. If you're not sure if God has given you your own life verse of Scripture, pray. Ask God. Say, God, is there a verse that you want to give me that is personal and profoundly significant to me? And see what shows up as you read Scripture. For me... Whenever I'm feeling anxious or unsettled, I ask the Lord to reveal to me what I'm afraid of. And once he does, it's up to me to ask him for the courage to bring this fear to him. Yes, that means looking at it, acknowledging that it's there, touching it, grabbing it by the back of the neck. And yes, this takes courage. And I bring this fear to Jesus. And I ask him to enter into it. And when I ask Jesus not to make it go away, but to enter into it, I find that he has given me faith. And I know and trust that he will do that for you. Pistis, the Greek word for faith is the same word Jesus speaks to Simon Peter in Luke chapter 22, when Jesus says, Simon, Simon, listen. Satan has asked to sift all of you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. When you have turned back, I have prayed that your faith may not fail you. And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Sometimes our faith is tested for a purpose that is greater than us, a purpose that we don't see and we may never understand. We spend time asking God why, and God answers who. Who will I enlarge through your faith, through your witness to your faith? Sometimes it feels like we won't have enough faith to get through whatever the Lord knows is coming toward us. You see, we don't know how much faith it's going to take to prevail against the enemy, the enemy who wants to sift us like wheat. We don't know that until we're already out over our skis, already falling, and it's then that we have to remember that Jesus is praying for us the way he prayed for Peter. And I believe that Jesus is praying for Peter the way Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane for himself. You see, the word in Greek, when Jesus says, I've prayed for you, the Greek word is dathan, which is better translated, not as I prayed for you, but I've begged for you. Jesus says to Peter, I have begged that your faith won't fail you. Begged that it is sufficient for you. Have you ever thought about this? The intensity of Jesus' prayer for you. Jesus praying for you when you don't know that anyone is praying for you. Jesus is praying for you the way he prayed for Peter. Can you imagine Jesus on his knees? Droplets of sweat with blood in them, the intensity of his prayer for you, begging that your faith won't fail, that you find it sufficient for whatever trial you are in. You see, no matter how much faith we have, we're never going to think it's enough until we're through it. And once we're through it, Then Jesus gives us the aha moment of how much faith we have. And then Jesus sends us to others who don't know they have enough faith. And he lets us share with them that this same faith is in them. This same spirit abides in them without any distinction. And that's how the witness to our God becomes great. Enlarging faith. Sharing our faith. You see, we are unable to produce this kind of faith in and of ourselves. It is not in and of human nature. It is only in and of God's nature. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one can boast. Faith is the delivery system of grace. So now I want you to imagine if your house was on fire, your house would need to be saved by water coming through a fire hose directed intentionally at your house. So, in this analogy, imagine that you are the house on fire. Yep. You know, Scripture tells us that there is not one of us who is righteous on our own. Every single one of us is a house on fire without help, unless or until the water of grace is directly and intentionally given to us, received by the fire hose of faith. But pastor, you might argue, how can I be saved by grace if I don't have faith? Exactly. Exactly. That question is going to linger there until you turn toward Jesus. And when you turn toward Jesus with your whole heart You find and discover in yourself that he has already given you grace and faith, more than enough. And you wonder, how long have I had these gifts? Why haven't I opened them before now? It's a point of rejoicing in our lives and in heaven. Theologian Louis Burkhoff wrote, faith is the divine response shaped in humans by God. Faith is allowing yourself to be persuaded by God to believe him. Remember, the enemy also wants to persuade you. You see, we have a choice. A faithful choice is choosing to be persuaded by God over and over and over again throughout our entire lives. In an earlier sermon in this series, Pastor Drew mentions how we might picture the fruit of the Spirit. Friends, I want to share with you that when I started working on this sermon, started praying about faithfulness, there was a picture of someone who came to mind that for me has lived out a life of faithfulness. And at times I've watched from the margin and at times I've entered in to this man's faithfulness. Season after season, after season. And rather than talk any more about faith, I want to introduce you to a faithful man, Barry Glazer. Barry, I am so grateful that you said yes when I asked you if you would partner with me in this sermon on faithfulness. And I've shared with uh, our friends at home that God kept bringing you to my mind as someone that I've watched live into faithfulness, live out faithfulness. And so I'm so excited to introduce all of you to Barry Glazer. Barry has been an elder of this church. You've been a church planter. Uh, You've provided countless resources for churches around the world. you've impacted individual people's lives. You've raised your own children. And um, so tell us a little bit about when you first came to Bel Air Church. What was going on to you, in your life back then?
1: Well, my first visit to Bel Air, um, I was invited by a, a family friend. I joined the church in 71. Um, my wife at the time and I um, joined the choir. We were very excited about Bel Air Church, but we also had some, some major problems in our relationship. Throughout my relationship with Bel Air, um, there have always been people and groups that came right alongside and were so helpful. The problems in our marriage continued to get worse. And there came a point where we shocked everybody who had no idea with the announcement that um, we were going to be getting a divorce. During that time, somebody else that I had met at Bel Air, he had been teaching a Sunday school class that Julian and I had attended. He was the head of the psychology department at Fuller Seminary. He was the dean. Uh, He was of incredible counsel to me a real mentor in my life, and we still are good friends. He made me aware that the most important things in my life were going to be my daughter and my relationship with Christ.
0: And yet you told me about a deal that you made with God at this point in your life. Would you share that with us?
1: I'd be happy to. I I came to the point. and basically, the realization that all of the plans and all of the dreams and, and hopes that I had built around a, a marriage that was destroyed um, were gone. I was a stockbroker, and all my clients were mad at me because the market was down. I came to the point where, in, in a state of deep depression, I threw in the towel, and I made a deal with God. He said, God, you know, I, I know that I've got salvation, but I've never really turned my whole life over to you. And frankly, everything that I've tried to do hasn't worked. It's all gone. I just now have deaths and problems and... Whatever you want me to do, I'm ready to do it. But I'm not smart enough to figure out what to do. You're going to have to drop it in my lap or hit me over the head with it. Our agreement has been, I don't always understand what's going on, but I trust completely.
0: Barry, I started coming to the church in 93. Mm -hmm. and I I don't think I got to know you right away, but I remember you specifically. I remember you on the patio. And I was in my 30s. I was single, having gone through a divorce myself. And I remember that there was a man, kind of a large man, um, that caused some disruption at the church. And I know that there was some consternation about how do we, how, how are we going to stay in community with this person. I think that was happening at the church. And I believe you may have been serving as an elder, or you were certainly, uh, you'd you'd been here for quite some time. I remember that I never saw this man without you at his side. And it occurred to me, you are somehow responsible for keeping this man in community here.
1: Uh, You're talking about my, my good friend, Jeff. I had had met Jeff through the singles group here at Bel Air. Uh, He had a bipolar condition. And it got pretty obvious that he was having some problems. Prior to that, I had met with his father several years earlier, who had brought him into my office for some counseling. And I had advised them to set up a trust and a, an appropriate will. And they weren't clients of mine, but I was, was happy to offer advice in terms of setting up. Anyway, Jeff remembered, remembered me and respected me because his father had respected me. A few months later, the mania developed further. There came a point where we, the church had an intervention. We got five or six elders together, and I brought Jeff up to them. And he agreed that he was having some problems keeping his thoughts straight. That led to bringing him to a psychiatrist. At this point, he really was a danger to himself and to people around him and needed it to be held in a a, a locked facility for a while. They said, it's kind of tough, but basically all we can do is sell off all their assets, put them into a locked facility until the money runs out, at which time they're going to be homeless. And I couldn't see that happening. The alternative would be if somebody was willing to step up and be the court-appointed conservator for Jeff. So, you stepped up. It was a a pretty clear choice. I was was honored to do that. Just to wind up the Jeff side of things, I was his court-appointed conservator for over twelve years, and Jeff passed away. Miraculously, his estate was over a million dollars when he passed away, and that was all given to churches, nonprofits, and you know, important things that um, honored Jeff and honored his parents. Mm. And it was such an amazing privilege to me yeah. to, to be able to help that happen.
0: Barry, what's remarkable to me in this story mm-hmm. that you've shared about Jeff is from from what was observable, mm-hmm. was you being with him by his side at church. And when I've asked you, there's a world of commitment that you had made years of of keeping Jeff in community mm-hmm. here at the church, of living uh, in his own home, and of saying yes to an assignment that God had for you so faithfully. And that that was something that I noticed in my mm-hmm. early Christian walk. Barry earlier we talked, I talked in the the preached word about our faith being tested. And and I know, I believe that your faith was recently tested. Yeah. And would you tell us a little bit of what that was and what that felt like when your faith was tested.
1: Sure. Uh, recently, um, I, I was tested when my wife passed away uh, about 10 months ago.
0: This is Jane. Yeah.
1: I, I have a morning time. And you can spell it either good morning or I'm in mourning." And I find that first thing in the morning, um, I'll let the grief wash over me. And fairly recently, I, said, you know, I was working through this grief thing and uh, said, you know, God, I, I need a shot of joy. I need things to be joyful about. God has dropped opportunities for me to work with churches and help them um, build and own their own facilities. Within a week, yeah, it surprised me because usually it takes a little longer, uh, another church dropped in my lap that was in a little different um, situation. It's a Spanish-speaking church, and they had half of the money to buy a facility that they had been praying over, and they felt was perfect for them. And in less than three weeks, the escrow was closing, and they were having a celebration they wanted me to come to with all their elders and, and main people in the church. And I was especially taken by the name of the church. It's Iglesia Cristiana del Fuego de Spiritus Santo. It, it means the, the Christian Church of the Fire of the Holy Spirit. And I thought. You know, that's so neat, being part of other people that are on fire for the Lord. Very often when the answer to my prayers have been no, it's because God has something so much better that I can't even imagine at this point. It's part of His plan, and I am so grateful. The incredible things that, yeah, unbelievable adventures and extreme joy that have come to my life with God in charge. Mm.
0: There's so many things that bring me joy. I I love that what brought you joy when you needed it most was the planting of a church. Mm -hmm. God's faithfulness to you, it's, it's like this ecosystem. It is. God's faithfulness to you gives you the response of faithfulness to Him. Yeah. And that that's a partnership that seems to be how you live your life a partnership with God, a partnership that you extend to others through faithfulness.
1: Uh, God has dropped so many wonderful things in my life. And I, I praise him always.
0: I want to remind all of us, no matter where we are in our faith journey, that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. It says that in Hebrews 11, 1. Jesus has got you no matter where you are. And I want to close with just one other word from scripture. This is from 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. The the world is a turbulent place. And here, the world was a turbulent place for John, who wrote this. Uh, And this is what it says. This is 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For whatever is born of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. And may that be blessing and a good word for you this day.
1: In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.